Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Operate like that. If I were God, I would do something about suffering and evil in the world. And uh, it was a, in a sense, it was a, it was a fair point. You know, if I had the power to do something, I would do something. And you think, well, yeah, so would I. And, and Habakkuk in that first chapter right at the beginning, he, he answers the question or he asks the question, God, why do you tolerate evil? Why do you seem to allow these things to happen and you don't seem to do anything about it? Why do I have to look at injustice, he talks about. And uh, that's a real question. It's not just a Bible question, that's a real question. It's not just a Christian question, it's a real question for everyone. Why do I have to look at injustice so much? I mean, you'll know if you know anything about the area that we're in, in, in Brixton, it's, it does have a very strong sense of fairness. It doesn't like the idea of things being unfair. And uh, w- whenever anything's going on around, even around the country, people are striking for this, that or the other, there's always an expression of it here. I mean, th- that seems to be true. Every time uh, we're marching for something. I hadn't seen marching or striking for ages. And then when I came to Brixton, almost every week people were marching about something. Or they were, they were making a point about something. And it's a real question uh, that we ask God. Why do you allow suffering? Why do you allow evil? Why do you seem to let these things happen and don't, and don't seem to do anything? You don't seem to respond. It's a real question for us even today. And uh, to be honest, for some people who don't have faith in Jesus, this has become a major barrier. It's a barrier to faith. The, um, the fact that that question is there and they don't have an answer to it. Um, but for Christians, it's also a barrier because it comes a barrier to deeper faith. We have a faith, and we believe in God. We come to this question, and I was talking to um, a girl the other day, a Christian girl, and she said, oh, I, I, just, I just don't go there. Yeah, It's a barrier to us encountering God in a deeper way. And uh, so I, I was just sort of challenged by that, and you look around the, the world in which we live, and you think, this is real. I, I can pretend it doesn't happen. I can sort of hide myself in my world, but it's real. And because of the way the world is today, where people are travelling all over, all over the globe, and in a sense we live in a global village, you meet people who have real suffering. Real suffering. And uh, if you work in a school, and you'll know this, and Phil knows this, having worked in a school for many years, that he'll get kids who come to that school whose, whose parents were killed in some civil war somewhere. We can't even begin to imagine what that must be like, but those kinds of people are walking through the doors. They're coming into this country, and as Christians in this country, how do we help them understand the suffering? How do we help people? So for us, there is a mission aspect to this issue. It's not just, oh, it's one of those big questions, suffering, how do we deal with it? There's a a mission aspect. How do we help people in a truly godly way to understand and deal with suffering, rather than how do not responding to suffering exactly as the world responds to it? And we talked about that uh, a couple of weeks ago. But as I said, the the title of the talk, and and last week we looked at God's response, and God's response didn't help Habakkuk. 
Yeah? God's first response wasn't, oh my goodness, Habakkuk, I'm really glad you raised this question. I had got some thoughts on this. He, he didn't do that. Uh, God responds by telling Habakkuk, do you know what? I'm going to judge Judah and I'm going to use these people to do it. And that just throws him. It doesn't make any sense to him. And he has to wrestle with God over it. But as I read the book of Habakkuk and just walked through it, walked through the commentaries, I realised this, that this book is not about suffering or evil. This book is about faith. This is about a journey that Habakkuk makes from a place where he asks God, why do you allow evil and suffering in the world? He asks that question up front. And by the end of the story, he is saying, though the fig tree doesn't blossom and there's no fruit on the vine, though the olive doesn't bear any fruit, yet will I praise the Lord. So he takes a journey and it's a journey of faith. It's a journey of deeper faith. And some of us, if not all of us, need to go on that journey of deeper faith. Because otherwise our faith is limited to the good that God does. I love God because he is good. I love God because he is kind and I see the blessings on my life. I see favour on my life. But the moment something hits me, if I haven't encountered God in a deeper way, I will be knocked by that. I I will be. And I will then respond differently to God. Oh, I thought God was good, but... mm. So we come to um, this this, uh, third in the series. I'm... You know, it's a, it's a, I was talking to a friend of mine, he said he started to read the book of Habakkuk. He says, oh, it's very confusing. <laughs> it's very confusing. It's not easy to understand. So hopefully we're just going to, again, look at uh, some, some bits from it here. So I'm reading from still Habakkuk chapter 1, and uh, it's verse 12. I'm just going to read a few verses. So this is Habakkuk's response to God's response. So Habakkuk says, why do you allow evil? God says, I'm going to judge Judah with the Babylonians. This is how Habakkuk responds. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net, he gathers them up in his dragnet... And he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net. And he burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. And what answer I I am to give to this complaint. Father, I pray that you would continue to be with us by your Holy Spirit. And that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So Habakkuk has his faith tested after God speaks to him. 
So God speaks to him, tells him what he's going to do. And at that point, Habakkuk's faith is really tested. So he understands that Judah need to be punished because of evil and the way that they are operating. He understands the injustice needs to be dealt with. So he asks the question, what he doesn't get is the response. He doesn't understand why God would use people who are more evil to punish people who are less evil, firstly. But secondly, he doesn't understand why God would use people who are so evil to punish his people. It doesn't make any sense to him. Why would you do that, God? And the reason that's an issue for him, as it should be for us, is because there are a number of underlying assumptions that Habakkuk makes about God. There's a number of convictions that he has and that I am assuming you have as a Christian or I have as a Christian. There should be a number of convictions that you have. You shouldn't be able to look at the world and simply go, oh, it just happens and, you know, God knows everything. No, no, if you believe certain things about God, it will test you. It will challenge your faith. And I'm not talking simply about values. You know, I have some values. I'm talking about truths, convictions, things you believe about what God is really like that are deep in your heart and that those things get tested by the world in which you live. And this exactly was what happened to Habakkuk. And so Habakkuk, in his response to God, he outlines a number of those convictions, a number of those things that are really important to him that help him understand the world And why he thinks this question is important. You see, we only never talk about God and suffering in the assumption that God can do something about suffering. If you didn't believe God could do something about suffering, there's no point in mentioning God and suffering or God and evil or God and struggle. I don't talk about my daughter Daisy in relation to relieving my suffering. That would be unfair on her if I said, Daisy, I need your help, Daisy. You have the power to... No, I don't do it like that. It's God who has, can give us help in relation to suffering. So I don't know how you respond during times of test, stress and pressure. And when you're unsure, when I'm unsure about something, uh, I go back to what, what I call my dailies. I go back to the things that I would do every day. I go back to pray. I go back to worship. I go back to reading the Bible. I go back to my dailies. I go back to those things which, are, which for me are the inner deep convictions. I go back to my belief about God, that God is faithful. I will remind myself of promises that God has made. And I do that, and this is what Habakkuk does. He understands the situation that he's in. He understands uh, that that Judah needs to be punished. That's understandable. He doesn't understand why it's the Babylonians. It's almost like he doesn't get, why do another way of asking the question that Habakkuk asks and that we read it in the Psalms is why do the wicked sometimes seem to prosper? Why, Why is it that they sometimes, it seems to go well for them? Yeah? And even when they're doing evil, it seems to bless them. It seems to work for them. That is behind some of his questioning. It seems inconsistent with all he hears and knows about God. So we're going to look very briefly at some of those convictions that Habakkuk has. And the first, he mentions them, it's all, it's all from that passage. It says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? Elo Lamb. 
is the Hebrew for the everlasting God. God is an everlasting God. We sang earlier about God being eternal. Are you not eternal, God? You have always been and you will always be. Is that not who you are, he says? You were there from the beginning and you will be there at the end. And behind that is, and you do not change. God, you don't change. Your word says that you were the same yesterday, today and forever. You will always be there and yet this doesn't fit. This doesn't seem to be consistent. I mean, 1 Samuel talks about God is not a man that he should change his mind. So Habakkuk's wrestling with the fact that God is everlasting, he's eternal, he doesn't change his mind and yet his people are being punished by people more evil than them. He doesn't understand that. It was a big issue for many Old Testament writers. Secondly, the second conviction is my God, my Holy One. That he can, he can access God personally, but also God is holy. Habakkuk recognises that God is holy, which means he's transcendent. He's pure, he's unique, he's set apart, he is not like us. Yeah? Though we are made in his image, God is not like us. You can't look at us and see the fullness of God. Yeah? It doesn't work like that. You know, if you looked at me, because we, unlike God, so God, for example, God doesn't need to sleep. Yeah? Within 24 hours, all of us will sleep. Yeah? God doesn't need to eat. Yeah? Within 24 hours, all of us will eat. Some will eat more than others, but we will all eat. Yeah, it's part of our daily life that if I didn't sleep and I didn't eat, it wouldn't long before I had no energy. God doesn't function like that. Yeah, you don't knock on his door and he say, oh, "I'm busy. I'm having dinner." Honestly. It doesn't. That doesn't happen. God is transcendent. And the other thing about His holiness is this: in His presence, I feel unclean. Yeah, when I get close to God. I feel, oh, what is this? Why am I become aware of these thoughts? I wasn't aware of them before. Suddenly I'm aware of thoughts in my head and they're not healthy thoughts. Or I'm aware of actions. Yeah, you know, people come into church and I don't know why they do. So, you know, you meet people who sometimes come into church. They're not Christian. They don't go to church regularly. Or they know you go to church and immediately say, oh, yeah, okay, okay, I won't say that. Yeah, sorry, I swore. Sorry, sorry. Um, do you know people do that? Do they do that to you? They, sometimes people do that to me, and it's not because I don't necessarily walk around with um, any sort of glow, I don't think. I don't walk off the ground. Uh, but sometimes people go, oh, 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 yeah, okay, I won't say that. There's, a, there's an awareness of, oh, this doesn't feel right. And when you're in the presence of God, you can be aware of that. Now, I understand the theology about we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, but the truth is, God is holy, and I'm not. So when I come to God, I can feel sinful. And then Habakkuk makes this statement. It's almost, like, it's almost like this hopeful prayer. We shall not die. What's he talking about when he says that? We shall not die. He's talking about, God, you're faithful to your promises. You're faithful to what you have said. He reminds himself almost of the promises of God. And what are the promises that would have been forefront in his mind? It would have been, do you know what, God? You chose this people. You called this people out. 
you spoke to that man, Abraham, and you, you called him out and you sent him on a journey and you said that you would bless him and that through him the whole, all the nations of the world would be blessed. You said that, God. You called us out of Egypt. Yeah, We didn't come out of Egypt out of rebellion. You brought us out of Egypt. Are we really going to die at the hands of the Babylonians? We shall not die. He's believing the promises the deep promises that God wasn't going to wipe out his chosen covenanted people. In his heart, he believed that. He's repeating it as he's, as he's wrestling with the answer that God has given him because he knows how ruthless the Babylonians are. Then he says, you have appointed to execute judgment. So he's, he's once again, he's aware, God, you're in control of this. You appointed it. This isn't something that's happened outside of your control. You appointed them to execute judgment. You are sovereign and you are just. And you know what? Even though he's struggling, he accepts that truth. God is still sovereign. God is still just. Even though what I'm seeing with my eyes does not look like it. He is still sovereign. He is still just. He's in control. I said it last week. That one of the things we pick up from this passage is God is in control and God knows everything. Yeah? He's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. He's an omniscient God, which means he's all-knowing. He knows everything. He has the power over everything. Habakkuk accepts that reality, but he still struggles with it. Do you know sometimes you have to accept things, but you still struggle with them? And then he speaks of him as you, O rock, you're my rock which speaks of God as his stability. So even though, and it's all a bit sort of mixed up, even though Habakkuk's in a situation where God has said, I'm going to punish Judah and I'm going to use the Babylonians to do it, Habakkuk still looks to God for security. He still looks to God for protection. He still looks to God to provide for him. You're my stability, my security and my strength. It's funny because sometimes when we go through difficult times, Sometimes we do the very opposite of what Habakkuk does and we don't look to God for security or strength or protection. We look to ourselves, we look to something else. And then he speaks of God being pure. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. So he understands about God. God is pure. This speaks of his goodness and his perfection. So he still believes these things. Psalm 145 said, the Lord is good to all. So how does this make sense? God, you're good to all. And then he speaks of this, you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. And that speaks of God's integrity. God is consistent. And he applies his word consistently. He doesn't apply it differently to his people. He doesn't say, oh, because you're Israel, I won't punish you so much. Yeah. Actually, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just embrace you. Yeah. But because you're not Israel, you will be punished. He doesn't do that. God is, God is a God of integrity. He's a God of consistency. Where he sees wrongdoing, he will deal with it. <laughs> Whether it's, now, there is a way for us through Jesus. There is a way. But God will still deal with it, which is why he sent Jesus. So Habakkuk is struggling. He's, he's reminding himself of these inner convictions. God is everlasting. He's eternal. He's not going to change. 
He's, he's the Holy One. He's, surely he's, he's going to be faithful to his promises. He, yes, he's appointed them to execute judgment. I don't get it, but he's still sovereign. He's still just. He's still my rock. I'm still looking to him for my support. And so in some ways, when we read that list, part of its purpose is to remind us of what God is like. So that we're not just thinking about this Old Testament prophet who believed these things about God. But we're asking the question, do do I believe those things about God? Because, you know, in that sense, the Old Testament is still very relevant. Do I believe that God is just and pure and faithful? Do I believe that he's eternal, that he doesn't change? Do I hold on to the promises that he's made both in his word and he's given to me? Do Do I believe that? And you and I need to ask those questions. So Habakkuk has these convictions. And then he has this struggle. He has this struggle because because he goes through his convictions. And at the end of it, he still asks this question. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why do you do that? It doesn't make any sense to me that you would tolerate the treacherous. Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Why, God? If all these things are still true of you, why then are you like this? Why do you seem to allow this? And he, and he goes through some of the things that the uh, Babylonians do. You see, the Babylonians weren't, they weren't even pretending to be godly. Yeah? Yeah, their God was their strength. Yeah, you read it here, that their God was their strength, that they, they, they worshipped, um, it says, the wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks, talking about the fish, he catches them in his net, he gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad, and he sacrifices to his net. Yeah? So the Babylonians <laughs> almost sacrificed and worshipped their own strength. They weren't even pretending to believe in God. They weren't even pretending to believe in anything outside of themselves. They worshipped themselves and they seemed to do well out of it. They lived in luxury, some of them. They rejoice. I mean, these are words that you read about the Christian. And so he rejoices and he's glad. Why? Because he catches people up in his net and he's wicked. That doesn't make any sense, but that's what they were like. They used their strength to, to take over other lands and they worshipped and rejoiced in it. Now just so you know, in the end, and we don't get to it today, but we get to it uh, next week, God, God speaks about the Babylonians. So, so God isn't sitting there thinking, yeah, I know, I just don't know how to deal with them. That's, that's not God's response. God is going to punish the Babylonians for their sin. Yeah? He just doesn't seem to do things when we want him to. He doesn't seem to operate in the way we want him to. He doesn't appear, this thing we find quite difficult in our world, which is very, we're very individual in our world, aren't we? We're very individualistic, and, and, and I'm not saying you think this, I think this. It's all about me, yeah? My world revolves around me and how I feel and stuff, and I think Pauline gets fed up. It's all about me, yeah? And for some of you, it's all about you, yeah? But God doesn't think like that. I know we make God to be this God who's individual, he loves me personally. Yes, he does. But when he deals with stuff, he doesn't necessarily go, oh, because of you, Owen, I'm not going to... He doesn't operate like that. 
So we struggle because in God's judgment, it appears to us, innocence gets caught up in it. Innocent people, innocent folk, innocent situations get caught up when God judges. We think, how can that be? Because, because the whole of Judah couldn't have been evil. There must have been some people. Sometimes in the Old Testament we read of God saying, I want you to go and destroy those people and you're going to destroy their men, their women, their children. You think, oh my God, 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 really? Is that how you execute judgment? And then we read things like, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger but abounding. How, how does that all work together? And Habakkuk struggles with these things. You see, in many ways, Habakkuk had really good Christian doctrine. Really good, yeah? He would call him sound. Habakkuk is sound of faith. He understands some things. He's not dodgy. He's sound. But very good, sound Christian doctrine wasn't enough. It doesn't explain it. It's not that Life's not that neat and tidy. And God will not be bound by our sound Christian doctrine. I don't know how many of you. How many of you have got the book Systematic Theology? Let's put your hand right up. Okay, six of us. How many of you have got a book that's like about theology? Seven of us. Well, a few more than that. But books like Systematic Theology were brilliant. I remember when um, Terry Virgo first encouraged people to buy it. Uh, I think it was, must have been the Stoney Bible Week. Stoney Bible Week many years ago. Um, he encouraged people there. I don't know how many people were there with that Stoney. What I do know is that every copy of Systematic Theology in the UK was bought up in that one week and brought to Stoney because Terry said, this is a great book. And everyone went, okay, I'm going to buy it. So we all bought our systematic theology. The danger of the systematic theology is I think I've got the answers. Because I can read it and go, "Mm, yeah, no, actually, no, no. If you read in Psalm 52, it tells me that that doesn't happen. But actually, God isn't like that. God doesn't just come to us in a book. He comes to us as a person. And he doesn't limit himself even to the revelation he gives in the book. But he gives enough revelation in the book to tell us, oh, he's not like us. There's enough there. There's enough there for me to realise, oh, okay, God sometimes does things that I don't understand. And it doesn't make any sense to me. Sometimes that's what he seems to do. Sometimes that's what he's like. I've used this example before, but it it fits well here and and I love it. In the film Les Miserables, it's just a really, really powerful film. I love it. I don't understand all the singing. I didn't. I, I, I read I, the other day. I read the film on IMD, yeah, on on the web, and I understood more of the film through reading it on IMD than I have watching it a couple of times. So I don't fully understand all the film. But what I get is these two moments in the film, which are really powerful. And the first is. A moment, And really, you could say the film is about the story of grace. It's about the story of grace. A man comes out of prison. He's been in prison. He's wrongfully been in prison. He comes out of prison, and he's a, he's a thief. And he comes to a house where, I think, I'm not sure if it's a, it's a religious man whose house it is, and he steals some silver from the man. 
and the police catch him. I think they must catch him outside. They bring him back to the house with the man who he stole he's stolen the silver from. And the man whose silver he stole, uh, just, he, he just operates in a really grace-filled way. And he says to him, oh, you forgot to take the best stuff. And so he goes and gets the best stuff and he gives him this stuff. And so the police are there like, hold on a minute. This, no, no, he did, I gave it to him. It was, it was him. And he takes it. And he says to him something like, um, you know, go and, go and turn your life around. He makes some comment about the way you should live. And for that man who received that grace, it undone him. And the whole of the film is about how he is trying to make restitution for the grace that was given to him. He was given grace and it changed him. And he, he was going that way forever the rest of his life. And then, and then in the film, if you can watch it, you've got to watch it hard to get all this because I, I can't see it. Um, in the film, there is a policeman and the, and the policeman is... He's like, he's after this guy. And he spends like years trying to track him down, trying to chase him down and trying to arrest him and throw him back into prison and all these kinds of things. And then towards the end of the film, you have this moment where, um, uh, where basically the policeman is, is cornered and this guy has a gun or, or, or someone has a gun. He's given a gun to go and shoot the policeman. So he takes the policeman around the corner to, sh- to shoot the policeman. Instead... He shoots away from the policeman and he lets the policeman go. And, uh, and, and the policeman goes away, but just as grace gave new life to this man who was the thief, the policeman does not know what to do with that. It doesn't make any sense of his, his legalistic, dutiful mind. What on earth has just happened? He has let me go. He should not have let me go. He has let me go. And he wrestled so much with it. He wrestled so much that he had received grace that he did not even understand because he saw moral obligation and legal obligation as, as one and the same. He wrestled with it so much. In the end, he takes his own life. He can't handle grace. He can't handle it. And sometimes God pours out grace. It's more than just words. I mean, you could read the Bible, you could read every systematic theological book in the world and you wouldn't necessarily get grace because it's an experience. It's not just a a theology. It's something that you deeply experience. You don't get, get the feeling of being freed from sin. You could know everything. You think about Martin Luther. Uh, Martin Luther, who was, he, he was this he was a monk and he'd become a monk because he could feel this sense of sin about his life. He wanted to get right with God. He was doing all sorts of weird things. There's one thing that he does. He goes to this church somewhere near Rome and he climbs, he crawls up the 28 steps to the, to the top um, uh, to get to this church. And then every step he says the Lord's Prayer. Every step he's saying the Lord's Prayer. He gets to this top and he still doesn't feel any different. Yeah? Because you, you can't get it through knowledge or acts like that. It's not enough. Doctrine is good. It's good to have right doctrine. It's good to understand the truth. But it isn't enough. You need to understand that God and what God did doesn't even make sense 
when you understand truth. It doesn't make sense that God would send his son to die on the cross. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit. And so Habakkuk wrestles with real and deep questions. He was a man with emotions and feelings, but he was also a man that knew God. And despite not making sense to him, he trusted. He trusted. So the third thing we find with Habakkuk, he has these deep convictions. He has this struggle. He then waits. Habakkuk waits. And at the beginning of chapter 2, it says, I will stand up my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. You see, for me, this is us. This is the key thing for us. Yeah? Habakkuk waits. His faith and deep convictions had been tested in such a way that he could not reconcile them. He could not reconcile them with what he saw going on in the world. If somebody had asked him, he couldn't have rec- he could do a, probably a pretty good job at giving some sort of answer, but he couldn't reconcile them. He couldn't make sense of them. But do you know what? He was willing to wait for God. And that is absolutely key for us. Because I think it's at this point that we often falter. We cannot reconcile some of what we see going on in the world and our own faith and understanding. We can't even reconcile what's going on in our own lives and our faith and understanding. Yeah? God, I thought you said this to me and then this seems to happen. I thought you said this to me and then this seems to be happening. Oh. Yeah? Oh, yeah, we give up. How easily do we give up? How easily do we go, oh, okay, I don't get it, I don't understand doesn't make any sense to me, God. I thought you said this. I thought you said that. Somebody told me that you were wonderful and pure and great and all this type of stuff. And I haven't seen it, God. Yeah? What Habakkuk does is he waits. What we often do is we walk. And we go, okay, God, if you're not going to do it, I'll do it. If you're not going to make a way for me, I'll make a way for me. If you're not going to find me a wife, I'll find me. If you're not going to do it, God, I'll do it. Like God goes, oh, no, 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 don't do it. God doesn't respond to us like that. He doesn't get caught in our little sort of sometimes our own games. But we do need to learn this lesson. Habakkuk waits. Sometimes you need to wait for God. Sometimes you need to watch. Sometimes you need to station yourself where you are and you need to wait for him to speak to you. Sometimes you need to trust even when you can't reconcile it for yourself. So in the end, when you can't make it all make sense to you, you simply go, do you know what, God? This doesn't make any sense to me, but I know enough about you that you're faithful and I will trust. In a moment, we're going to just sing a song and then we're going to wait on God and just see what God would say to us, both individually and corporately. But I want to say just a couple of things before we do that. I would not have wanted to live in the days of Habakkuk. Yeah? I, would have not, I, didn't, I wouldn't have wanted to live at a time when, when, when Israel 
the northern kingdoms had already been taken and that the southern kingdoms of Judah were in the midst of idolatry and they were trying to make pacts with their enemies and they were sort of treating their people badly. There was inju- I would not have wanted to live in those days. I wouldn't have wanted to live in those days when, when, you know, I've been going through Leviticus recently as my daily reading and it's all about sacrifices and, and burnt offerings and sin offerings and this offering and waving things in the air. And I don't get it. I, I wouldn't want it to live in those days where that was what it was like. Yeah, where I had to sprinkle blood and all that kind of stuff. Imagine if I was the priest, I had to sprinkle blood over you yeah, to make you holy. I wouldn't have wanted to live in those days. Whereas a, as a prophet, you, you know, you got, you got false prophets who are saying other stuff and true prophets saying stuff. But you know what? There's a little bit of me that even though I wouldn't have wanted to live in those days, there is a little bit of me that envies Habakkuk. And I envy him because it's really obvious he knew God. And he knew him intimately. And he was, he was comfortable enough to raise the questions. He was confident enough to wait for the answer. He didn't know about Jesus. Yeah? He didn't know about Jesus. He didn't know that there would be one who would stand in the gap on his... He didn't know about that at that time. He might have known, oh, there's something in the... He didn't know about Jesus. He didn't have the Holy Spirit in the way that we have the Holy Spirit. Yet, he seems to know God. He speaks of God in a way that I think, oh, I have at times reduced God to my own image. Habakkuk doesn't do that. It wouldn't have even entered Habakkuk's head to walk. It was, I will, I, I, brought, I will wait for him. And in fact, some of the commentators talk about that that waiting is almost like he's waiting for a rebuke from God. I will wait for him to speak. I will watch and I will wait. So there's an, there's an element where he's so familiar, and we get there in, in chapter 3. He's so comfortable, he's so intimate, he's so knowledgeable about God that I'm like, oh, have I got that? Yes, I've, I've received Jesus. I, I know things that Habakkuk doesn't know. I have experiences that Habakkuk doesn't have. But have I settled for less than what this man, this Old Testament minor prophet had? Have I settled for less when I could have had so much more? Sometimes I wonder about that as I've read the story. And the other thing I've sometimes wondered, and Phil, I don't know if you want to just come up, because, and it's challenged me, is rebellion and idolatry don't always look evil. They don't always look bad. Sometimes they just, I just don't follow him. I just don't trust him. I mean, we read stories, you read about things like the golden calf, and to us that looks really, oh, how on earth do the people do that? But, but in some ways they were still trying to worship something. They built a calf, and, and, and uh, Aaron's response to Moses was, the people gave me the gold, I threw it into the fire, and out popped a calf. I don't know what happened. It doesn't look really bad. It doesn't look really evil. But sometimes it's still idolatry. <coughs> 
because it takes God off the throne and it puts something else on the throne. And to be honest, often the thing it puts on the throne is me. I will sort it. God, if you won't sort it, I will sort it. If you won't speak, I will speak. If you won't show me, I will show me. And for us, rebellion and idolatry are not golden calves. They're not unholy alliances necessarily. But they are divided hearts. They are where I accept certain things in my heart are not right and I just accept them that they're there. They are divided loyalties. And God looks for undivided hearts and undivided loyalty. So we're going to respond this morning and maybe those things will, will be in your heart. We're going to respond this morning as Habakkuk does he, he waits. He's in the place that he was in. He doesn't try and run. He waits. He's in the place that he's in. And he says, I'm going to watch. I'm going to station myself at my position. And I'm going to watch to see what you would say. So I want us to sing this song. And I then want us to just wait on God. Just to listen to the Holy Spirit. Because I've realised for me, maybe for you, that sometimes the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to me and I'm just not listening because I'm too busy sorting things out. I'm too busy organising things and I don't listen to him. And so when I talked about us wanting to gather to pray through October on a Tuesday night at the community centre, it's to wait. It's to listen. It's to hear what God would say to us and not simply do what we think he wants us to do but to hear from him to obey him and this morning I want to give us an opportunity to do that to wait we'll sing this song and then we're just going to wait see what God would say and if something stirs in you then feel free to bring it but we're waiting and we're bringing our stuff our world our questions our issues our wrestles rather than ignore them rather than sidestep them we're bringing them to him So we can get to that place where Habakkuk does of trust and faith. Let's pray together. Let's stand as we pray and then we're going to worship together. Father, we do come to you and we do invite you by your Holy Spirit to come and to be present with us in these moments. Lord, like Habakkuk, We want to, yeah, recognise that there are wrestles, there are struggles that we have about faith, about our understanding. But Lord, we also recognise that though it tests us, you're much bigger than that. And I pray that this morning you would speak to us individually where we need to hear from you. Maybe you want to speak to us as a church, but we would put ourselves in a place where we're open to you. We're listening to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. 
you can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.